you could do anything with that PGN and then save that data. And so we're moving like massive, massive amounts of data around in our servers. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have Danny Wrench, who is the chief chess officer at chess.com. He's also an American chess master, event organizer, lecturer, and commentator. He holds the Arizona state record for the youngest national master at 14 years old, among many other accolades that I'm going to let him speak to in a second. But first and foremost, Danny, how's it going? Going well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So yeah, I'd love to hear a story about kind of, uh, you know, why chess and what does it mean to you? Uh, so we'll, we'll go there first. And how did I get the made up title Chief Chess Officer? Yeah, so you're wondering. Exactly. Yeah. No. Well, I started playing chess uh, when I was when I was young, around 10 years old. My grandfather actually had a stroke one summer. And uh, as he recovered, we started playing and I accidentally got got pretty good at, at the at the crazy board game called chess. And I was Pretty quickly uh, considered a child sort of chess prodigy, at least in the U.S., was a nine-time All-American and, and played chess professionally or semi-professionally for years throughout my teens. And at a certain point, the Internet happened to all of us. And I, I joke and say that to my kids is they don't even understand that we all remember saying the phrase, what's YouTube? When someone says, oh, you got to watch this Lazy Sunday video or some other random video, right? And so at a certain point, the Internet happened and I began to kind of pivot away from the professional chess playing career into chess chess content, I guess, chess business. I actually I actually got sick and um, I had a number of different health problems uh, with with some massive growths in my ears. I actually had cancer, which was benign, thankfully, but it was a growth that had developed in my ears. And so I had to have numerous surgeries, cutting open my ears, removing it. I can share a link to an article I wrote about it. But that that sort of bedriddenness forced me to take the entire Google like AdWords course and SEO. And I started being self-taught. And at some point I was like, you know what? I guess the best domain name for chess would probably be chess.com, right? I looked that up and okay, that had just been taken by who would become my future partners. But I bought chesscoaching.com and I started diving into this idea that I was going to build this online chess website that gave videos and maybe live lectures and written stuff. And then I started spending more time on chess.com and got to know uh, the founders there. I was one of, one of the first five employees, really. And, and they started wanting me to do those exact type of things for them. So at a certain point, it became clear that, hey, with their with the domain name chess.com and with the opportunity to get in as one of the lucky kind of ground level guys and get some equity in the company, I basically went full bore chess.com at the age of 23 and, and haven't ever looked back. So that's a that's a very quick TLDR for you. No, that's that's a very good TLDR. And so as a chief chess officer, what is your role at the company? So yeah, so the reason we uh, gave I, for a long time, my I, I just had the VP title. I was considered the vice president. But then when you have a VP title, people often when you start doing, you know, in in, in the world of biz dev and emails, it's the VP of what? VP of content, VT, VP of professional relation, whatever, right? It was like none of them really quite encompassed what I do, which is in many ways, I guess, kind of guide the ship. I mean, it we're a we're a tech company, right? We're very fortunate to have the domain name we do. And as a tech company with massive amounts of traffic and large user bases, we're 
most of our time developing products and stabilizing our servers and things like that. But obviously, we're a chess company, right? Because it's chess.com. And so the products and features and tools and services from our videos to our training tools to solve puzzles to you know the lessons you can take and, and the opportunities you can have to engage with content by top chess players, that's everything we offer is centered around chess and all of our news department. If you go to chess.com slash news, I mean, we're covering the world's biggest chess events all the time. And so I'm uh, just the guy that kind of guides the ship in terms of our chess direction and and what you know what's worthy of our time and our investment and our money and and who does content for us and you know opportunities for partnerships or acquisitions or whatever we decide we need to do in order to make sure we continue to bring the best uh, the best chess experience to our users. So that's what I would say. It's it's, it's still a chess company while a tech company. Yeah, I think that's really important too. I think the fact that you are you are not just like a VP or a chief chess officer. The, the a chief chess officer, I think, means to me actually, um, and this, this so I'm saying it's important, is that you have such domain expertise and you're actually like a chess master, right? You can actually you know right. speak the game, um, and so you know then you exactly you know who who who's kind of trying to run circles around you and things like that. So you can call BS on people and you know right. like what's legit and what isn't. So I, I think that's really important. So I guess my my other question would be for you guys uh, we were talking before we even started the interview you know chess.com probably gets a ton of traffic right a, lo- a lot of people might assume that you guys are monetizing through you know the obvious ways but how do you guys make money primarily right now yeah so i'm glad you brought that up but we um you know we work hard obviously to to grow our domain despite having pretty much the best one you can have for chess we're very lucky in that but we you know we do what we can with our content and our events to create what i would always often say is these days, I look at the direction of the web, and um, you know, a lot of what we're learning is that people want to consume their their content in their native apps, right? They want to read, watch, and play directly on Facebook. They don't want to go to your site, right? They want to read, watch, and play directly on the app of their choosing. And if they have to click to leave in order to engage and consume, then um, maybe they're not as motivated to do it. And the only exception for that is if you create experiences and communities that you can't get elsewhere, right? And and so that's where we've really looked at the global, if you're playing the bigger chess game on the web, so to speak, right? If we're looking at the bigger chess game that is, you know, how to create unique experience and offerings that people not only want to choose your community over their native app, whether it's Facebook or, or other sites where you could play chess, but also what, what do they want to pay for? What are you giving them that's unique, both in terms of experiences and services that they can't get elsewhere? Because, uh, there's, you know, been a long prophesized by a lot of the experts in our field and industry of, you know, the death of the web in, the, in terms of the traditional way we were raised on it with a website, because as I've alluded to now a couple of times, native apps and what you can engage with in terms of the community right there in that platform is how most people have to have to build their businesses these days. And you can't expect people to leave their experiences. But what we've done is we've offered a lot of services you can't get elsewhere, uh, ways to upgrade and get access to content that only exists there, ways that you can upgrade to get experiences, whether that's a show, an event we do, or, or uh, an experience in terms of the type of training you can get, the algorithms we develop. And again, our chess expertise allows us to be pretty good at this in terms of how we give you puzzles to solve and how we can recognize you have weaknesses in your chess game here or there, right? We, we have to stay on the cutting edge of a chess algorithm in terms of the features we give, 
and we have to we have to give people experiences they can't get elsewhere. And so while we do get a large amount of traffic and we just crossed into the top 600 again on Alexa and we're proud of that. And uh, clearly, you know, we monetize with ads and, and like you said, the traditional weights, but the mass, mass majority of our revenue is driven via premium subscriptions. So people pay for access to these tools. It's a freemium model. Anybody can play on chess.com for free, but they uh, they pay because they've decided they want to get better. And so that's our model. And, and we're proud to say that I, I think the experiences we offer make it unique enough that people want to leave their other native apps on the web and leave that tech environment and come to come to engage and live in our community. That's awesome. And so you mentioned Alexa score of 600. So can you give us a rough uh, idea of how much traffic you guys are getting per month right now? So we just crossed back into the top 600. Um, Actually, don't even have right. You have me traffic numbers. I can say we have just under 30 million signed up accounts. That really brings into numbers I can say that are between four and a half and five million active users of that. Um, which doesn't mean it's the same four and a half or five million. We 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 design we define that as kind of a rolling cycle of people that you know play a game or engage with some sort of chess activity over over different time periods. And so um, you know I'm pretty sure the other numbers in terms of traffic, whatever. I, I think a couple hundred million, you know, different hits or whatever we're getting that put us in the top 600 Alexa. I actually don't even know what that number is. And that's, that's okay. Right. <laughs> but, but in terms of what really matters in terms of what our users are doing and right. how we, how we engage with them there, that's what I can say is it's about, about 5 million active users over a different kind of rolling uh, 30 day cycle. So. Yeah, you're probably getting a couple million, million visits a month, at least. Um, I, I think probably, I, I think it'd be fair to say maybe eight to 10 million and which adds up to your hundred million or so that you're saying maybe per year, um, which is great. So I guess when you, when you first came into chess, I mean, how long have you been with chess.com for? So, uh, it's been about 11 years, uh, 10, 10 going on 11 years. Um, I'm 33 years old and it was about, like I said, uh, when I was 23, I, uh, I met my my future partners and co-founders at a chess tournament in the Bay Area, and as I said, I had already, because of my health circumstances, taken taken the the, the courses needed that I, I spoke fluent SEO, right, and I understood kind of what was what was going on here in the direction that kind of made me a tricky partner for them because I wasn't just a standard chess master who was looking to just get paid for content, and if you interviewed Eric, my uh, my now partner. Our other co-founder is no longer actively working in the company, uh, Jay, but he was our CTO. Our, our CEO, Eric, is really my main partner now, and he would tell you that he probably didn't like me very much when he first met me. Um, but that's okay. Cause why we didn't, why we didn't is get that? A, well, I think it's because I was a bit I was a bit cocky and confident and, and maybe even abrasive in terms of my value to a chess company and combine that with some of the uh, – some of the knowledge I had that expanded beyond chess in terms of like their power in the industry and the domain and kind of what we would do. And honestly, I was kind of a jerk. I was 23. I, I'm, what I'm saying is he didn't like me and he was right. OK, I was I was <laughs> I was, I was, I was probably not. Um, it wasn't like I wasn't appreciative of the opportunity at all. I just think I was I was really, really uh, maybe anxious at the idea that, oh, I could actually be on the ground level of this. And I think I saw that opportunity for what it was. And it made me a little more aggressive than um in hindsight, I wish it was, but we've, you know, we've both grown as people over the last 10, 11 years. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he feels that way anymore, but yeah, we, uh, we didn't get along that well in the, in the first early, early days. So got it. So I, I do want to come back to where I was trying to go there, but I was just looking at the, uh, your, your site. So how much, um, how much do you charge per paying account right now? So they're, they're listed at chess.com slash membership. It's basically about a hundred dollars a year for a diamond, I'm some I'm summarizing here, right? Uh, which is the all-inclusive everything. Seventy-five bucks a year for platinum, which 
gets almost everything, doesn't get unlimited on a couple key features. And then there's gold, which is essentially a very popular membership. That's people kind of supporting the site, removing ads and um, getting unlimited access to some of our very most popular tools. So um, it's a three tier kind of membership system at this time. Got it. Okay. So I'm going to just throw out some numbers right now. So let's say you have 5 million active users and, you know, typical SaaS, you know, you might have 10% of them that are actually paying. So 500,000, you multiply that by, let's just call it, you know, your users are paying you five to six bucks a month. Well, maybe it's about $2.5 million uh, a month. So maybe 30 million bucks a year. And you don't need to answer. I'm just throwing numbers out there right now. That's my guess based on, based on what, how things are going. Well, I mean, it's it's probably a little bit less than that, honestly. And I, again, I can't really speak to the proprietary financials, yep. but I can say that we're not doing as well as that. And I, I say that not because I don't think we're capable of that and not because I'm trying to sound sort of, uh, I'm not sort of attempting to grandstand or say, you know, oh, poor, poor small chess company. That's not the case. Obviously, <laughs> we're, we're, we're very fortunate and yes, we're doing well. But I can say, you know, one of the things we work very hard on is improving conversion and retention rates, right? And I think that um, we definitely feel like a big, um, a big, I don't want to say failure point, but uh, we feel that something we definitely are, are continuing to work on improve is to to make sure that our offering keeps people playing and learning chess right away, so that we don't um, so we don't lose our chance to make sure people get to kind of the magical chess question, which is why did I lose that chess game? And the moment they start asking themselves, it implies that they care uh, about getting better. And so I can say we can do a much better job with that. We're improving and investing all the time. And I'm not, again, not tempting to grandstand at all. We, we do do well and we're very happy. We put a lot of it back into our community and our events and things we do. But really, you know, really, we can do a lot better than that. We're not quite there in the numbers you you listed out and we're, we're trying to get there. Right. Cool, man. Uh, so the the other thing, too, I'm, I'm looking at your audiences. I mean, we, we're, we've already established you're probably getting a couple million visits a month. Um, not probably, like almost guaranteed. And then I'm looking at your Facebook's about 700,000 people. Twitter's about 100,000, 240,000 subscribers on, on YouTube, and then 140K on Twitch. So what do you think, maybe even just remove the social channels right now, but what do you think led to so much growth in the first, let's just call it the first, uh, well, leading to where you guys are right now with the you know millions and millions of visits? You know, it's it's uh, it's definitely a rabbit hole, but I think that one obvious answer is we were fortunate to have the domain name we do. You know, when you're kind of in that autocomplete sort of range, you, you're pretty lucky, right? And then I think we, you know, put efforts into the right spots, especially whereas, you know, we're con- when content was really king of SEO, you know, and I think content always remains king of SEO, and there's all the, the games and tricks that uh, we all learn and, and execute in our industry, right? But, um, you know, when, when it was really just about content itself, even before the algorithms, you know, got smarter and smarter, you know, we really jumped ahead and just started investing a ton in, 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 in content. And, you know, that, that gave us the biggest piece of what I would call the game enthusiast seeking traffic, not just the chess enthusiast, but game enthusiast. And I think that that's where when you start converting people that are interested in online games into chess enthusiasts is where you really are changing the game, so to speak. And I hate to right. use all these game-changing puns, <laughs> but it's but it's kind of true, right? And I think that, yeah, I think that we had a, a great domain and, and we were able to tap into some of the general game-seeking traffic on the internet and with, with some of our strategies and the way we did content and combine that with what I would like to say is, is a pretty good product that kept people around. And that, that would be sort of the... Uh, the trajectory. But, you know, I also, if, to be more specific, I'd say playing chess is really what people want to do. We have our learning tools, all that stuff. But 
you know, the moment we developed live playing tools within the browser that became kind of cutting edge, that was a game changer too. Because before us, I I, I would say that um, ICC, the Internet Chess Club, which is still around, and it's a site that I grew up, a server I grew up playing on, and 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 they've been great for many years. But their tech was based um, really server to direct to application, direct to hardware. So you know, someone has to download an app, right? And they're connecting directly from their PC to ICC server. And that was really the only way you could get the cutting edge of really fast chess games people wanted to play online. Bullet chess, one-minute games. And trying to replicate that in the browser was very difficult for us in our early years. Um, Firefox, Chrome, and those those bra- Chrome wasn't even around there for a while. But there were, you know, of course, there was Internet Explorer. And, of course, there still is. I don't, you know, I'm sorry, Microsoft. I know Internet Explorer is still around. Just kidding. But, you know, there was there's a lot of a lot of browsers that became very difficult to stabilize all of them and make the experience super fast and super slick and super clean that could compete with with direct app to server kind of communications. And, and, and so I would say this. Once browser tech in general, which we don't really get credit for, we, you know, we're all on the industry together. But as browsers got faster and better and cleaner, um, animations improved, and then we we worked hard and invested in our play experience on top of that. Um, with the browsers getting faster, staying on the cutting edge of that technology, kind of changed the game. Once people could play chess in the browser, it you know, and have a really great experience, that just made our domain name and everything we had done in terms of SEO and grabbing grabbing the market, like it just it was kind of like the sky was the limit after that. Right. So what I'm hearing is good timing, good domain, good user experience, and ton of content. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I don't want to leave you with this question, but I'm looking at again going back to the social channels. What What do you think led you to um, the rise or or to build these big social followings across the board, even Instagram too? Well, Instagram, we're only just starting to invest in, so I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, Thirty K is not bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, but we actually like we were at like 16k like a month ago or something. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. We're, yeah, so we're like that makes me happy. Um, we actually only just hired for a company that's been around for as long as we have. We actually just hired our first ever full time social media manager. It's been a job. It's been a job that I did. It's been a job that other people that we've had. You know, a lot of people in our company have worn many hats in order to get where we are. And um, so we we literally just pulled the trigger on a full time salary employee whose only job is. Just make those likes, followers, and other numbers higher. We, we never had that person. So what makes us, you know, I think we, we try to deliver content into the market of what I just tapped into, which is the casual games and, hey, I used to play chess when I was a kid. Casual gamer and, hey, I loved chess when I was in the club in school. Casual gamer and I played chess with grandpa, right? So we try to make content that's like not an intellectual like leap for people to make where it's not just about – the greatest chess prodigies and geniuses ever. And the news here is just whatever. Like we try to make it very accessible and still serve that community. That's one of the hard things we have sometimes from like an existential, what is the chess.com brand crisis? And the answer is we're everything and we have to serve all of it. So we have literally, I just, I just came into this podcast after doing commentary for a show that had the best players in the world playing like every, like, like nine of the top 10 players in the world were in this tournament, this uh, grand chess tour event we were covering. And and so we're serving that audience, which is not just those players, but also the people that care about them. And then we're serving the people that are like they literally just want to play a couple games on their phone and they see a post on Facebook that says chess like life is better when you think ahead. And like, I love that. That's inspirational. I like it. Right. Like so we're we're serving like the casually interested people and the top level. And 
So I, I guess the answer to your question is we've done it all on social media, but but really focusing on making it accessible to all levels of chess understanding is the key. I think kind of what I'm hearing too is um, even for the casual people, like they can, if you post like a meme, they can align with it because um, also these memes make people look smarter to say, oh, they play, they play chess, right? So they're very shareable. Yeah, exactly. We've made the game easy to share, easy to brag, we'll say, right? Easy to, you know, understand your stats. And that's something we're working on more and more. I mean, it's one of these funny things. I'm doing this interview with you as like someone who's, I guess I'm kind of here to, you know, I'm talking about our site and the good things we do and our brand and stuff like that. But, you know, most most of my head every day is like everything you're mentioning. I'm like, God, we could do a much better job making chess cool to share. We could do a much better job making chess more fun and accessible and understandable. So, so yeah, we do we do, do a pretty good job with that. Like people can instantly turn any game into a GIF. And then the GIF can play and people can see what you did. And so we do that. But I feel like we could be do even more of that. Awesome. So I do want to go back into your the, the so you know I'm not going to waste the the fact that you're a American chess master, right? So how do you think? How do you relate? Because me coming from a gaming background, I, I relate gaming with business quite a bit, right? So chess and business, how do you see them as similar or uh, different? Well, I think that uh, they're similar in many ways when you do them well, and they're different sometimes when you do them badly. Here's here's what I mean by that. I think that. Um, you know, there's the obvious answers like chess is played at the highest level when you're thinking ahead. And chess is, is like this, you know, pop culture sort of moniker and, and meme that people refer to in and of itself. You hear sports analysts saying the, the cliche, well, it's a game of chess now, right? A game of chess on the field between these two coaches, right? Or a game of chess here, a game of chess there. And it's, it's a symbol of strategic thinking for a reason because it's played and executed at the highest levels. When you're thinking ahead, considering multiple candidate moves in every position, multiple options, not being biased or blindsided by ideas you didn't consider for your opponent, which is very key. And so chess at the highest levels should be like business executed at the highest level. But, you know, I think that chess, when it's played badly, I think that sometimes people do confuse that they think that um, any chess player who gets really good is just like a genius when really it's really just a lot of hard work and pattern recognition. Okay, not just right. Yes, there are some certainly some inherent skills and maybe an aptitude that someone has in their in their mental genetic makeup that maybe makes them better. Maybe they have a slightly photographic memory, right? Maybe they deal well with numbers or, or different types of calculations. But overall, the biggest misconception, if I was going to answer another question you might have, like what's the biggest misconception about top chess players is that they're all some sort of savants or IQs of 7,000 or whatever, right? It's, it's really a game of pattern recognition. And um, – so chess at a low level when it's not played well is is basically because people just don't know the don't know the patterns yet. They don't speak the language, right? It's a it's a language where like if I put French in front of you and maybe you speak French, it's a bad idea. But if I put French in front of you and you start looking at it on a book at a book in a book, I assume you can kind of see that it's a language. Like there's patterns. There's something there. You just don't understand it. You just can't read it, right? Because it's not your language. Whereas like if I said triangle, triangle, circle, triangle, triangle you would guess, circle based on the amount of information that you have in front of you right now, the best probable guess you could make a circle. But then I say square. And so now the pattern is triangle, triangle, circle, triangle, triangle, square. And if I did that again, the next time it came around, you might guess square again. But now I say X, right? So the pattern's getting bigger and longer. And the difference is who has the ability to see the pattern and who doesn't. And I think that people with a lot of experience who work on pattern recognition can recognize it. And chess at a low level is just about, it's, I mean, people just, it's just inexperienced. People just don't know, um, you know, so they make common mistakes because very often people at low levels are bad at considering their opponent's options. 
Um, and I don't know that that directly correlates to mistakes in business. Maybe I could say, well, obviously that relates to correlate, you know, bad decisions in business because they're not assessing the market. And I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at making cliche, you know, answers if you want one of those. <laughs> and I could say like, you know, in business, you know, if you're not considering the overall market or the moves of your opponent, you'll probably become obsolete. Hashtag blockbuster. Just kidding. But, you know, you get it. But it's true. Right. So that, there's some truth to that. But I would say over at the low levels, just as kind of just a game and people either dive into it and learn it and, and want to invest the time to speak the language or not. And certainly there are mistakes beginner chess players make. Like I said, if I'm trying to draw that conclusion, I can make it. But overall, I would say chess at a high level when executed is very similar to high level business execution. Totally agree. That, and that's how I relate uh, gaming or whatever to, to business as well. A lot of uh, a lot of carryover for sure. Cool. So we'll work towards wrapping up here. Just a couple more questions for you. Is there any one big struggle that you can recall while trying to grow chess.com? Yeah, I mean, you're you're asking for one. One. So this is like the most painful one. Like maybe you guys were about to die. Uh, well, we never. I don't know if we faced one of those. We were. I mean, let me let me try to think because I can think of a lot of struggles. But I want to give you the right, not the right answer. I want to give you what I think has been our biggest hurdle. You know, I would say that one of the darkest times we had. Really, we're kind of we're kind of only just coming out of that. And by just, I mean within the last couple of years. Um has been the proper way to to choose the right tech stacks to build on for the future. And that sounds maybe that sounds, you know, like a cop out that it's not it wasn't no, that's totally like a, fair. That's a fair answer. Yeah, like not not a not necessarily a business decision or whatever, but I think given our position, we're very fortunate to probably be in a decent position in terms of market share for a long time. I mean and and I'm not, you know, I like to think that big trees fall hard and never always have fear of the underdog. So I'm under no illusion that chess.com doesn't have a million things to do better and we work hard and are lucky to do it. But but you know, we we made we made some some decisions that um in terms of not being sure how to build our platforms for the future as we transitioned into different things on both the front and the back end, because we're making really large scale data moving and data populating decisions to to give you an idea. We actually made the tech news. I wish I could find this. When we crashed, we, we, we crossed that sort of like 2.3 billion number that crashes everyone's servers once you once you hit all the zeros there. Do you know that number? What is it again? It's the – No, it's the, the only number I know is the Y2K number. Yeah, that's it though. It's the chess.com <laughs> server crash at 2.3 billion. I want to – yeah, that's actually an autocomplete if you look it up. It's a whole thing that happened to us where we uh, we kind of made the uh, the hacker news and all kinds of stuff, but that that was just one thing. But it was actually a part of something that happened um, where we were, you know, in the middle. We've been in the middle of a massive tech rewrite over the last few years, and that has cost a lot of money. And we've expanded significantly in the technical and development departments, and we're, you know, we have three and a half million chess games played every day on our site. And so we are like, that's like a lot of data to also consider that every one of those games is available. If any user at any time wants to pull that up, it's called a PGN, which is portable game notation. That's what they call it. But that's a data file. And that PGN can have analysis added to it. You can have the computers think about it. You could do anything with that PGN and then save that data. And so we're moving like massive, massive amounts of data around in our servers and from back end to front end. We're built in, you know, different PHP frameworks historically we have been, and then you've got JavaScript and all kinds of things in front end, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but it, that, that's, been a, that's been a really difficult thing to properly invest in, in server space, and really just appreciating 
how big it's getting and how much we need to be prepared so that all our users aren't happy because people don't care about any of that and how hard your job is if the server crashes and they can't play chess, right? Anyway, so that's that's probably been our biggest existential crisis to properly make the right decisions, get the right team, have the right kind of arguments and, and hash those things out. And I do feel like we're in a much better place now in terms of where we're moving, but that's that's been that was the biggest point where we were like, oh man. And and by also in the process of proving that there is a really big chess market, we've had more competitors come along during that time too. So it was like there was this period a few years ago where all of a sudden like a number of new competitors were bursting onto the scene, each one of them doing little things smartly, probably better than we did, which is a great way to kind of deal with the, the market, right? Make sure you serve a specific thing really, really well. And we were really struggling, you know, with a lot of the tech situations we were in and, and the balls of yarn we were trying to unwind. And so that that would be our biggest point of like, hey, this is really not good, but feels good now. I think we've righted the ship. We've lost some money and maybe made some bad decisions along the way because of that. But I think we've also um, now made some really good decisions and we all feel pretty confident about where we're going. That's good to hear. All right. So two more questions from my side. What is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So it could be like a physical thing, could be an app. Uh, what is it? I can't not say Puzzle Rush because it was just fe- featured on uh, Revisionist History, which is Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. If you look up just a few episodes, like literally they were talking about Puzzle Rush, a feature on our site on one of the recent episodes of Revisionist History, um, which uh, is Puzzle basically... Puzzle Rush is your thing? Yeah. Oh, can, can, how about something that's not your tool? Oh, it's not Chess.com's tool? No, no, it's it's not Chess.com. So it's it's maybe something you discover, right? So I, like for me, it might be like, uh, it could be like, oh, you just started using Evernote or you bought a Peloton bike. I'm just wondering personally, like, oh, or, yeah, Oh, I didn't realize. I thought you were talking, what's the coolest thing Chess.com is? Okay, um, best thing I've discovered. Oh, wow. You just ask all these questions, man. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, let's see. I think... Uh, I'm learning to play the piano, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, what's a tool I've discovered? Man, oh man, I got a riding lawnmower. That's great. Okay, there you go. That, that counts. <laughs> Wait, these are like the ones where, like, you know, in high school, they're they're like mowing the football lawns with. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that it, counts. That's see, that sounds just, fun. I've always wanted one of those. It's an old beat up riding lawnmower that my neighbor put up on Craigslist. But she she said she was getting a ton of calls and I looked it up and she was right. Like I did quick research. I'm like, I'm like, holy crap, this really is a good deal. And I went and bought it just like two weeks ago, like 300 bucks for like what was going for 750 most places. And I now have a riding lawnmower and I'm super psyched. There you go. See, it's it's sometimes you get the most unexpected things on this podcast, guys. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, Danny, what is one must read book you'd recommend to everyone? So uh, I knew you would ask this question, and I, I prepared answering Game Changer, which is a book that's both about chess and the direction of tech in terms of artificially intelligent neural networks and how things are kind of changing. I, you know, to give you a little bit of context, uh, probably a couple decades ago, chess chess itself was going through more of an existential crisis with the birth of chess computers really, really suddenly getting getting better than the rest of uh, than human chess players. And would this kill the game? Right. Well. Here we are 20 years later where not only is the game still thriving, it's bigger and better than ever. And part of it is because the computers have actually like after a certain amount of time with neural networks and finding more creative approaches to things, they're actually showing us new things about chess they're, they're, and they're unlocking like new ways to play. So rather than us like being in this sort of existential crisis as chess players, the game is kind of as rich as ever. So this book Game Changer is super interesting if you want to understand a little bit more about 
some of the direction of chess and tech from an actual like the gaming side of like, you know, what's going on with the best chess players in the world now that the best chess players in the world are computers. And it started with Google's DeepMind, the project they did that eventually there was AlphaGo, which people heard about. But before AlphaGo, there was an AlphaZero that 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 um, started beating the chess, the best chess computers on the planet in ways where we thought they were gods. And now here comes this other god, right? This other chess god. And so a lot of, a lot of interesting things happening in the neural network fields right now for chess. And um, we have our own chess.com computer chess championship where basically it's a 24-7 server where we are just like – have all these engines battling it out all the time. It's like an experiment we're doing that just runs all the time so people can go there and see what the the, the cutting-edge neural networks and chess are doing. So Game Changer, Game Changer is my recommendation for that. Awesome, cool. Danny, what's the best way for people to find you online? Probably Twitter, just at Daniel Wrench on Twitter. Cool. And uh, I, check, I check Twitter pretty often and uh, hope to hear from people. All right, so that's Daniel Wrench, not the Danny Wrench, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm actually Danny Wrench on Instagram, which I only just got recently, so I could follow our our business account actually. But uh, Daniel Wrench, D A N I E L R E N S C H. All right, perfect, Danny. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.